Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute, head over there and subscribe, and then you'll always have the latest version right there on your computer. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com for free, as always. And when you go there, you'll find episodes of the show, plus written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links, including to our cause of the month, which usually goes on much longer than a month. But in any case, we've got a new one now, which is Musicians Village, a project of Branford Marsalis and Harry Connick Jr. to help restore housing for many of the cultural icons who were devastated by Katrina. You'll find links to Musicians Village at thejazzsession.com, and I hope you'll click on those links and give them some of your money. Thanks. This week's guest is saxophonist Donnie McCaslin. He was on the show last year talking about his life in depth, and if you'd like to hear more of his background, I invite you to go check out that show. On this show, we talk about his new record, which is called Recommended Tools, and from that album, here's the title track. My guest is saxophonist and composer Donnie McCaslin. He was on the show at the end of last summer talking about his previous album, In Pursuit. And uh, if you want to hear more about his start as a musician and his early life, I recommend you check out that show. Today, we're going to be focusing on uh, his brand new record called Recommended Tools, which is his uh, debut release for a new label called Greenleaf Music, which is run by trumpeter Dave Douglas, uh, in whose band Donnie also performs. Donnie, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks a lot for being here. Jason, it's my pleasure. My pleasure to be here. So why a trio record? Well, I think um, 
it had been something that had been on my mind. It's a format that I've really enjoyed um, using over the years, and I had done it sporadically, um, mostly doing standards and whatnot. But I felt like after my last two records, um, Soar and In Pursuit, which were sort of, um, you know, these larger groups and very orchestrated and arranged, I felt like it would be really nice to go into a completely different direction and, and, and you know, really try to, 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 to make my statement at this point in my life with a trio record. So it was, it was, those things were in the air. And then when Dave and I talked about the record and he offered me the opportunity, he also, um, you know, he put, he said, Hey, I'd like you to do a trio record. And, and we kind of went from there. So it was, you know, it was, it was an idea that he put out there and it's something that I'd been thinking about at the same time. So it was, it, it all worked out. What is it about the trio? I mean, so many saxophonists, you know, have, have gone to the trio and I wonder yeah. what is it that attracted you and, and what is it that you were trying to achieve in that particular setting? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that there's just so much freedom when you're playing with a trio and um, there's also so much opportunity to orchestrate and to take on different roles um, as, you know, it's not that I just have to play the melody and solo, but I can, I can try to comp for the other guys and you know, um, there's just there's just so much freedom to experiment with different roles in the group and stuff. So I really enjoy that, and I really enjoy having the harmonic freedom to roam as I want to, and also um, just it's just this direct line of you know interaction between myself and the bass player and the drummer. So I think I was trying to um, to put together a recording. You know, most of the music that I wrote. I wrote specifically for the record and specifically for the guys who who are on this record. And I think, you know, I, I wanted it to just be, um, you know, like an honest sort of offering of where I'm at as a, as a, as a musician. And, and I really wanted it to be, um, to, 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 I really wanted to just let things happen and to have play with sort of unbridled, you know, enthusiasm or joy or whatever, you know, and not feel like, oh, I'm trying to make this song a certain length for airplay or whatever, you know, I just wanted to just to to, to play, you know, sort of, you know, as, as deeply as I could, because there's such a tradition with those trio records, um, the Sonny Rollins trio records, Joe Henderson, um, Bill Evans, there's there's so many great trio records, and, and, and a lot of those have had a big influence on my um, musical upbringing, my musical education. So I, w- I wanted to reflect that in this record. My love and respect for the, the, those records that I studied and still listen to and to sort of do my thing within that context. You talked about the freedom of the trio setting. What did that bring out in you as a player, either as a writer or as a soloist? Well, I think it, um, it challenged me to think about... Uh, different ways I could comp for the other guys as they were playing. I mean, there's a couple tunes where we where there's a drum solo happening and, and Hans and myself will have an ostinato that we're playing together that's maybe, we're, we're, you know, we have a harmonized line or whatever, but, um, you know, I just wanted to, it challenged me to to try to think of, of, of the perspective of the whole record and how can I make this record um, you know, interesting, 
given that there's only three instruments. I mean, still wanting to think like an orchestrator and not just have it be head, solo, head, but, you know, have a lot of interesting things in there sonically and arrangement-wise and comping-wise. So I think that's that was the biggest challenge for me. Were you surprised by any of the results? Um, I was, um, I guess I would say I was pleasantly surprised with, with, um, how good it felt when we were recording and, um, it, 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 it seemed like, um, we had a lot of really good material to choose from and, and we recorded for two days and, and we could have probably done the record in one day, but I wanted to have a second day just if there was anything I wanted to revisit and, and I was glad that we did that because there was a couple things like late night gospel, for example, where I did a couple takes the first day and they were good. They were solid takes, but I, you know we had done them at the end of the day and we'd already been playing for five, six hours. And I just felt when I was listening to it back that there was just a little thing missing for me. And then having the chance to do it the second day and we sort of captured the feel right away. That was that was really um, gratifying. the most challenging song on the record and I think that was the one that was the one where we did multiple takes and and it was interesting listening back they were all good and um, you know there was one or two that stood out a little bit and I finally made a choice and that's the one that ended up on the record and I'm really happy with it but I guess I was surprised with how there was so much to choose from um, with each tune on the, on the various takes you know there was there was there weren't really any, um, you know, any misses, you know, misfires. Everything seemed to feel really good for the, for the, for the whole recording process. So that was really gratifying because we had worked to get to that point. We'd done some rehearsing and done a couple gigs. And so it was, it was really, it was, I was just really surprised with how well it went. Your bandmates on this record are bassist Hans Globischnig and drummer Jonathan Blake. How did that particular trio get together? How did you choose those guys? Well, it was a process, you know, I've known, both Hans and Jonathan for a long time. Um, Jonathan I met 
actually, ironically, I, one of the first concerts I ever saw was McCoy Tyner's group at the Columbia Jazz Center in Santa Cruz, like, you know, 30 years ago or something. And, and it was the version of the band, of McCoy's band at that time, that had Gary Bartz and John Blake on violin. And John Blake is Jonathan's father. So years later, I met Jonathan in the Mingus uh, big band. And he started playing with that group when he was really young, like 18 or 19 or something. So we, um, you know, played a little bit then, got to be friends. We subsequently did tours with various groups over the years. And um, I just always loved the way he played and felt like he had a great time feel. And he's really, um, you know, able to play different genres of music really um, organically and creatively with a lot of energy. And he's a very interactive player. And that's what I felt like. I wanted with the trio were guys who I could really interact with and try to find those those moments of you know magic and improvising with a group that you know there's for me that's that's something that I, I just strive for is is being on stage or in the recording studio with guys and and feeling like there's you know we're lobbing ideas around and and you know I'm maybe playing something that's a reaction to what Jonathan plays, what Hans plays, and there's this, you know, sense of communication. And for me, that's a real beautiful part of playing and being a musician. And, and so I wanted to have guys who I could have that kind of rapport with. And I felt like Jonathan really fit into that um, mold. And, and Hans does too. Hans, I met, uh, man, maybe 17, 18 years ago. Um, he went to Berkeley. Um, after I did, I think we might have initially met in Boston, but we played many gigs in New York over the years together, and he's done a lot of gigs with, with different groups of mine. So I've known him for a long time. He has a long history of playing my music, and he's a really, you know, he's a really consummate musician, a distinguished composer in his own right. So I felt like he was the kind of guy who could also deal with the different stylistic influences that come into play, with the music that I write, and um, and he could he could deal with those influences, and but also really be in the moment and really be able to be interactive. So, um, and Jonathan and Hans really played well together, and that was a key for me. Of course, was feeling like <clears throat> the, the bass player and drummer are going to hook up and and provide a strong bed of groove for me to play um, in with them. It seems like a record like this requires a lot of trust between the musicians. Is that accurate? That's that's absolutely accurate. And and maybe I was starting I was alluding to that I think when what I was just talking about about the communication and the the magic being created in those moments and and yeah, a big part of that trust facilitates that, I think. And me feeling like I can relax and listen to what the guys are doing and just, you know, respond, react, you know, go back and forth. And that definitely takes a good amount of trust. You uh, won the 2008 Downbeat Rising Star Poll, which kind of made me chuckle because this is about your 20th year on, <laughs> on the scene. It's the 20, 20 year overnight success. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, do you yeah. feel, do you feel like uh, people are, it seems to me like people have always known who you were, but I guess I'm in a, a rarefied world. Do you feel like a wider audience is coming to appreciate your music and, and get turned on to you from the exposure you've had in, in bands like Dave Douglas's and, and other organizations? Yeah, I think so. I, I've noticed in the last um, maybe three years or so, 
four years that, that it feels like I've gotten, you know, more uh, recognition. Um, I mean, I notice it, I think, I, and, you know, it just seems like the, my CDs are selling more than they were before, and um, I'm getting more requests for private lessons and um, reading more press coverage about um, like gigs and stuff like that. So it feels like there's been a little acceleration in the last few years. And I think part of that is due to the Grammy nomination that I got a few years ago with Maria Schneider's group and playing with her group, you know, which is a really high visibility gig. And, and of course, playing with Dave Douglas, which is, which has um, been such a great opportunity for me musically and, and also, uh, I think it's, you know, gotten me a lot more exposure. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what Dave's band is like? What is he like as a band leader? Yeah, um, it's really interesting. Um, the group it has a, a really large songbook. I think when I joined, um, they had been in existence for maybe five years, six years, and Chris Potter had been in the group. And I think at that point, maybe there was 40 tunes in the book and since Dave's a very prolific composer, and so in in the meantime, maybe there's 20, 30 more tunes since I've been in the group. So um, Dave likes to, he doesn't like to repeat himself in terms of set lists and stuff. So he, in other words, he likes to draw from the, from the, from the book of the group. Um, he likes to draw from the, the full book of the group. So, it's it's been great, you know, to have to, to learn his music and to um, feel like I get uh, inside his compositional process and learn from that. That's been re- really great, and then to um, you know have to be able to to, to play all these different tunes uh, on any given night. I really enjoy that. So he's really, you know, as a band leader, I would say he's you know he's constantly trying to shuffle the 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 um, set list. He also doesn't. Um, he likes to make the band feel uncomfortable sometimes in terms of playing a tune that we're not comfortable with and just pulling it out and seeing what we'll do with it. So I think that's that's something he enjoys. Um, and then he's a very, you know, as I mentioned before, he's a very prolific composer. So, you know, he's often bringing in new material. And, and so it's, you know, it's it's a challenge to keep learning, that, you know, to, to, to keep adding to the book and stuff. And, and then it's also, um, you know, Dave also really likes to, um, take different fragments of each tune and use you know different things as background figures and 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 whatnot. So it's um, he's really serious about the music he writes and and so I think it creates an environment where we're all really trying to get in, into his tunes and extract um, the most important aspects of those tunes so we can play with those while we play those tunes in performance. It's interesting that you mentioned the uh, Dave wanting to sometimes make the band uncomfortable. Just uh, just this weekend, I was talking to a friend of mine about performances where things go, you know, horribly wrong, but sometimes they're the best performances. That the band starts in two different tempos or whatever, and everybody has to kind of fight back to a 
to a center. What, what is it about that being kind of off kilter or slightly off balance that that sometimes brings out surprising things? Do you think? Yeah, well, it's. I think it's. Um, it's that sometimes if you're you fall into a comfort zone with certain tunes where you have a, you know things that you've played before that you're used to playing over a certain chord or over a certain progression or over a certain feel and it's stuff that you can feel that you might be able to feel like you can just rely on or whatever and then all of a sudden playing a tune that you don't remember or it's brand new and you don't really think you have a grasp of it it can really pull you back into being right in the moment and sometimes you know, you're, when you're forced to play um, stuff that you're not as comfortable with, you can actually um, play something that you hadn't thought of before. Or, I mean, and that, of course, can happen when you're playing a song that you've played a million times. But I think what he digs about it is that, you know, something, something new can happen um, because we're all intently just trying to find our way through the chart. Something different can happen. Um, and, and I guess also there's the thing of not, even though you're concentrating so much, you're also maybe not overthinking and you're just reacting because you don't know the song that well and you're just following along and trying to, you know, uh, get inside it quickly. But, but sometimes in those moments, it's just something, you know, you're just sort of playing and you don't have time to think too much. You don't have time to think like, oh, did I file my taxes this week? Or, you know, what am I going to eat after the gig? Or, you know, none of that comes into play because you're just completely reacting to what's in front of you. So I think that that can be an interesting aspect. And what was the experience like with Dave Douglas as the uh, head honcho of a record label? Oh, it was good. He was real, uh, real supportive. You know, he, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, he, he, he came to me with the not only the the offer for the record, but an idea of what to do um, concept-wise, and then we also talked about um, touring and and whatnot. And then all of our subsequent conversations, he was positive, upbeat, supportive, excited, um, and you know, as, as things got more specific in terms of um, tunes and whatnot, he was very. Uh, I don't know. He was just very. He was very supportive. It was. It was great. He was unable to come to the actual recording session because I think he was in Europe. But um, you know, I felt like he pretty much gave me a green light to do whatever I wanted. I felt like he trusted me um, to do my thing, and and it was it was real positive. This album was produced by another very talented saxophone player named David Binney, uh, who's also been on the show. And what was David's role in the recording process? Well, David's role was um, actually started before we recorded. Um, he's produced a, f- a few of my records, and um, we've been friends for a long time. We have a really good relationship. And so the process for us is usually that we'll get together um, at some point, and I'll play him all the material I'm considering, and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about um, form. We'll talk about arrangement, orchestration, and whatnot. So... You know, we have we have kind of a meeting before, and then um, he he also came by one of the live gigs that we did and uh, listened, gave some feedback, and then in the studio he was there listening and you know offering feedback after every take. You know, and and he always had you know he always has great things to say, and um, it's just wonderful to have 
somebody who I trust like that listening. So if there's a situation where I'm not sure, well, what do you think about this take? You know, he'll he'll always tell me exactly what he's thinking, and he'll be totally honest about it, and um, it's great. What's coming up on the horizon for you, Donnie? Well, there's, um, I'm going to California in early September to do a CD release tour for this record. And we're going to play in Northern California for about a week. And then I'm going to play at the Monterey Jazz Festival with Maria Schneider on September 20th. Um, which will be fun because I grew up in Santa Cruz, which is just about 45 minutes north of Monterey. And, I, and you know, I grew up going to the festival and playing in the high school all-star band there. So it's, it's always a treat for me to go to that festival. Um, I know a lot of people that run it and who are out there, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, then in October, early October, I'm going to do a Midwest tour with the trio, also a CD release tour. We're going to play in Ann Arbor and in Chicago and in Kalamazoo and in, uh, in Wisconsin. So that'll be nice. Then I'm going to, Directly after that, I'm going to Buenos Aires, to Argentina, to play at the uh, Buenos Aires Jazz Festival. And I'm going to play a concert with my with my trio. I'm going to use Argentinian musicians. And then I'm going to be a guest soloist with a couple different groups. So I'll be there for about a week. Then I'll come back to New York for a few days, and then I'm going to do a tour in Europe with um, Steps Ahead in late October, early November. Then um, I'll be back in New York, and I'll do a week at the Jazz Standard with Murray Schneider, uh, Thanksgiving week. And then um, in early December, I have potentially a nice gig, but I, it's not confirmed yet, so I guess I can't probably talk about it yet. But um, Oh, that is that is cruel. I know, that's kind of cruel, right? <laughs> oh, man, I have this amazing Sorry. show, but I can't tell you a thing about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I probably can't say anything about it. But um, then I'm going to do I'm going to do a gig in New Haven, Connecticut, on December 12th with the trio, um, and then January I'm going to go to Europe for two weeks. Um, trio this time with Antonio Sanchez and Scott Colley. Wow, which should be a lot of fun. We're going to do two weeks in Europe, and uh, somewhere either before that tour or after that tour, I want to make a new record. Yeah, because you need um, you need some things to fill up that time. Exactly. No, it's, and it's really, it's a really extraordinarily busy fall for me. Um, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I've got the material pretty much set for for the next record, and I'm just thinking about a little bit about concept and orchestration right now. So um, yeah, I'm going to do that either in January or uh, December, January, or February. Well, it all sounds fantastic, and uh, I can't think of anybody better to have as our first return guest, and uh, I'm really glad you, you came back and hope we can make a, make a tradition out of it for each record. Yeah. Jason, it's my pleasure. I love being on the show. Thank you. 
Donnie McCaslin from his new album, Recommended Tools. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. If you subscribe, you'll always have the latest episode whenever you want it. Remember, you don't need an iPod to listen to the show, just a computer with some speakers. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com, where you'll find episodes of the show, plus written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links, including to the Jazz Session's Cause of the Month. This month, it's Musician's Village in New Orleans. Please click on the link and give them some money. Thank you. For more interviews and reviews, you can visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find my writing there and that of many other jazz experts and fans. You can contact the show anytime via email at jason at thejazzsession.com or Skype me. My Skype username is The Jazz Session. Pretty easy to remember. You'll also find a mailing list to sign up on at thejazzsession.com. When you join, you'll get periodic updates about the guests who are coming up on the show, plus some other news from My Little World and occasionally giveaways and all kinds of cool stuff. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Session's logo. Thank you so much for being here and listening to the show. I'm really happy you came by, and I hope that you will support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come on back next time, won't you, for another conversation about jazz, right here on The Jazz Session.
Thank you for listening. Bye.